Everybody, this is your host, Steve Dawson. Welcome to the One Life Podcast, Season 1, featuring Jim Burns, brought to you by Music Makers and Soul Shakers. This podcast is completely ad-free and listener-supported. Please check out all of our episodes at makersandshakerspodcast.com. And if you enjoy what we do and would like to support it, you can make a one-time donation or subscribe to our Patreon page. Just follow the donate button on the top right of makersandshakerspodcast.com. Now, just a reminder that what you're about to hear is unscripted on all counts. Jim Burns is speaking off the top of his head, and all musicians are improvising at all times. This was all performed live over two days at the Warehouse Studio in Vancouver and was recorded there by Sheldon Zaharko and mixed by Steve Dawson in Nashville, Tennessee. Guitars and pedal steel by Steve Dawson, drums and percussion by Gary Craig, bass and mandolin by Jeremy Holmes, and keyboards by Chris Jestrin. I'd just like to thank Jim Burns for agreeing to do a crazy project like this. And without further ado, here is episode four of One Life Season One with Jim Burns. Going back to those uh, those days down in, uh, in Gaslight Square in the middle of the town, you know, that was uh, quite a quite a scene that was happening there. As I was saying, man, we had so many people on their on their on their way up when it was early, and then uh, it became quite a quite a place. I mean, there was uh, I guess we saw so many of these great guys there, and, and that, that's how uh, I ended up doing my first job. Somebody had seen me playing at the uh, well, there were some guys I went to school with, and they they were a few years ahead of me, and they had graduated and were at St. Louis University going to school there. And uh, they had uh, they were booking some bands in, and they they booked in to the uh, the Field House uh, a show with, uh, and this was where really I, I still to this day uh, sort of this was the beginning of my really professional career. Okay, I had my name on the poster, <laughs> and it was uh, myself. Uh, the Dillards and uh, the Birds were the headline act. So we got to a uh, 20-minute set or something like that, singing songs that uh, God knows how I even thought I had any right to sing or how, how any, some Jimmy Reed and some Bob Dylan and uh, a song that I had written myself, which uh, has long gone in the mists of time, I'll tell you that. But... Uh, so the Dillards, man, remember the, the, they were on just, in fact, just the other night I watched, they were on a, an episode of the Andy Griffith Show where they played the Darlings, right? And a couple of guys from Missouri in the band, the Dillard Brothers, uh, Douglas and, and Rodney and um, Mitch Jane on the bass and Dick, uh, Doug Webb, I think, was, uh, was the mandolin player. And I, and I dug that music, but they had a drummer with them, too. It was Dewey Martin was playing drums. And we met, and he was, he was kind of a fun guy. I'd been here, there, and everywhere. Two years later, uh, he was uh, the drummer in Buff- the original drummer in Buffalo Springfield, and I said, "Hey, I know that guy. That was pretty cool." But uh, but the birds themselves, Gene Clark was. This was when he was still with the band. It was uh, two, two, Gene Clark and Chris Hillman and uh, Roger McGuinn, who I had known as Jim McGuinn when he played banjo and guitar with the Chad Mitchell Trio. 
but for some reason he had changed his name, was religious or something. And of course, uh, Crosby, who uh, even the rest of the guys in that band avoided him. <laughs> you know, I don't want to say anything bad about people, but man, he was a hard guy to deal with. And he stunk of patchouli oil. I mean, you could hardly even be in the same room with the guy. It's, it was just unbelievable. But Gene Clark was, you know, lead singer. was just the sweetest cat. He was so nice to me. I'll never forget that we were in a, you know, they were staying in a, a Holiday Inn out by the, by, by the airport, and we all got to meet before we went down to the show and have a sound check and all that stuff. And he was so nice to me. Um, I, I will never forget you know, hanging around that, that hotel pool with these guys, who were big rock stars. And here I was, you know, senior in high school, and. Uh, or I thought, you know, the world was my oyster at that point. And it was that night. Going back to the Gaslight Square scene where I, I had come out of and where I kind of got discovered, uh, there was another place, uh, Billy Peak. You know, Billy Peak. It's a St. Louis guy who went on to uh, spend years uh, touring with Rod Stewart. And uh, there was a club down there that, that he ran. And there was this group that were being uh, nurtured and, and brought up by Capricorn Records. And they had sent him to St. Louis to kind of, you know, to woodshed and get, get the whole thing together. The two of them were, were brothers that, who had been in a group called The Looking Glass. And at this point, they were calling themselves the Almond Joys. Yes, it was Dwayne and uh, Greg Allman who uh, we got to meet, you know, hung out. They were they lived in St. Louis for, I don't know, it was, I'd say five, six months. And then, of course, things fell, fell apart at Capricorn Records. And uh, a few years later, of course, uh, I think most of you have heard of the Allman Brothers Band. <laughs> that uh, was sort of the, uh, the genesis of that whole thing. But uh, those were some crazy days down there. And then... What happened with uh, Gaslight, as uh, has happened in so many cities, it was crime. You know, people started, uh, they'd get off that strip and get into the, go back to their car in the neighborhood and started getting robbed. And, and then there was a couple of shootings and uh, some deaths. It had been a very integrated, it was a cool place. I mean, Benny Sharp and the Sharpies were down there. And the Quartet Trebian, great jazz stuff. Uh, all these different clubs, and it was, you know, everybody was uh, black and white together. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. Which lasted for, I don't know, I, I guess it was about four years when it was really in its heyday. And then things started to, to fall apart with the crime and the shootings, and uh, now it's just a, an abandoned, you know, a band. It looks like a, a war zone down there now when you drive through those streets. It looks like uh, you're. It's, uh, it's quite sad, and uh, I don't know how we can make that right. We got to work on it, though, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah.
crazy little thing with my uh, my buddy Rocky who I mentioned we had met uh, in high school and immediately kind of uh, started uh, well you know we, we hung out with one another we were we had something going on we were interested in the same sort of things and uh, you know he was the first guy where he had a furry Lewis record and he had some uh, records by the big three that was Willie Dixon and you know um, so we really, you know, started hitting on all cylinders with the music stuff, right? Like I say, we would we would go to these uh, nightclubs over in East St. Louis, uh, London House East, uh, Slicks Lakeside Club, and uh, there was a place in St. Louis uh, called uh, Sadie's Personality Bar at the corner of Union and Wabada. And we had heard that uh, on the radio, Jimmy Reed Jr. was playing there. So who the hell is that? <laughs> we went down there and uh, just some guy that called himself that. But meanwhile, there was a great little band in there, a guy named Tommy Bankhead. And uh, he lived in St. Louis. He worked as a security guard at Safeway. And uh, But at night, man, he would, you know, put on that fancy stuff and get down to Sadie's personality bar. He and there was a fellow named uh, Thurman McCain that played bass. A lot of, you know, some players that went through there, the... Mark Hummel, great, uh, great harmonica player, White Cat, and so it was. A, it was a real mix of uh, that, that. That was a place that was really, were uh, places. It was a mix, you know. And but but Rocky and I would, like I say, we we did some some crazy things. The night uh, we went to, a, you know, it was an all boys Jesuit prep school, and uh, some of the cats that I went to uh, high school with, uh, one of them went on to be the head of research and development at Hewlett Packard. Bob Voskamp became head of the Global Strike Force at Boeing Aircraft. <laughs> Joe Bataraco, uh, the Harvard Business School. Meanwhile, we were chasing around to go see uh, Holland Wolf and <laughs> Jimmy Reed and all this stuff. And, but one of this, uh, this is a different type of music, but it was uh, the night of our uh, senior prom. Now, this was an all-boys school, and of course, all the guys, you know, had, there was all these girls' schools that guys went with. But we were not so interested in that. And we thought we got uh, Rocky's uh, dad's. Well, they had a, a bunch of cars in the family. We took one of the cars. And we went out early in the evening. Now, back in those days, I guess it was about a four-and-a-half-hour drive to Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we were nuts. I was nuts about Marty Robbins. his singing in his songs and everything. So that night at that prom, we said, eh, we're just going to go out and drive around. We took the car and we uh, left St. Louis at about, uh, oh, it would have been maybe six o'clock. 
We got to Nashville about 10.30, and we went down and uh, sort of parked near the Ryman Auditorium and stood outside the Grand Ole Opry where Marty Robbins, at, back in those days, uh, well, they were still broadcasting from the Ryman Auditorium, but it, and the end of the show on Saturday night was always Marty Robbins, and we wanted to hear him sing El Paso. We didn't, I guess you, you can call that live, hearing him from out across the street, but uh, that was quite a night. So we went there, and at the after that, we went, we went to Ernest Tubbs, a record stop there, because they always had a concert. We listened to one song, got in the car, drove back to St. Louis, and we got home. Oh, it might have been 4 o'clock in the morning, something like that. <laughs> Where you guys been? Oh, just driving around. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now I don't know if they ever looked at the odometer on that car, but <laughs> we had put a good, you know, 800 miles on it, 700 miles at least uh, on the car that night. But uh, anyway, there was never any question, more questions about it. But uh, man, we did have some times, you know. Old Rocco, uh, he uh, he got his name. You know, his his real name was Ralph Aloysius III. His family, they were all doctors. And, uh, you know, being the kind of family, since he was the third, uh, they called him Tersh. Tersh is Latin, you know, Latin nicknames, okay? Quite a character. But then he uh, decided, well, he changed his entire personality. He went to Columbia, Univers- uh, went to Columbia Missouri, University of Missouri. And we kind of, uh, you know, I went my way, he went his way, but... We kept in touch over the years. We would see one another, and uh, he's still a great. Uh, I still have great friends in his family and stuff. His his younger sisters and brothers, and uh, we keep in touch. But uh, in fact, the last time I had uh, had spoken with him, he had ridden his motorcycle. He was a, quite a became quite a motorcycle enthusiast, and he had ridden from St. Louis up to Bellingham, Washington, where his sister lived. Who's still there? She's a doctor. Uh, runs a uh, uh, pain clinic, rheumatism pain clinic. Anyway, so I got a phone call. This is quite a few years ago, and uh, it was it was Rocco. And he said, "Hey, Jim, I'm I'm in Bellingham, and I'm driving up to Vancouver tomorrow to see you." And uh, cool, but except that'd be cool, except for the fact that I'm leaving for Scotland at six o'clock the next morning. I was going to play at the uh, at the Edinburgh Festival. And so we had a long, long conversation on the phone. And that was the last time I spoke to him. Just, uh, well, maybe uh, six months later, he, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And I miss the guy every day. I'm so glad that I'm able to keep in touch with his family and his sisters because uh, those were some really, really special times I had with that young man. Special times. You know, he lived across town, a different, very different part of the city where I lived. Now, when I was a kid, I was talking earlier about... Uh, my uh, problems with my eyes and going to the uh, ophthalmologist. Well, once again, this was uh, quite a way to, ways from, from our house, and we would take the bus. One of my aunts, my, either my Aunt Hazel or my Aunt Dorothy, would, uh, would accompany me. You know, this is when I was, from the time I was six until I was like nine years old. But twice a week for five years, we would get on that bus. Now, in St. Louis, St. Louis remains to this day one of the most segregated cities in the United States. It's the the farthest north southern town, okay? And we would, uh, you'd go across, uh, get on that bus and you'd cross one street and you were in another world. And I started to think, you know, there was like, once again I had heard on the radio down at one end of the dial there was one type of thing, at the other end of the dial there was a whole other world. 
And I started, there was like a parallel universe that existed in St. Louis. And uh, they had their own, you know, stores they'd go to and pe people would, uh, in their own, the churches and everything. And there was just this, this great dichotomy of, of existence that, that you, I really started to, uh, and it's sad because, I mean, it, it, it remains to this day. I mean, it seems to be the, the, uh, the polarization that is happening these days is, is just, uh, and I, I saw it even back then when I was a, a little kid. I remember uh, going way, way back. I guess it would have been uh, the summer of 1955. And I would have been like, seven, eight years old. And uh, my sister, Mary, my older sister and I, uh, took a train down to Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, to uh, some friends. We had had some friends that lived in our neighborhood had moved there because of business or a job. And uh, my mom was pregnant and was uh, soon to give birth in July of that year to my, my younger sister. But anyway, so they kind of sent us away. We went, went to, it was Memorial Day weekend, May of uh, 1955. And uh, got on a, you know, this train down to Little Rock and it was a, uh, one of these milk stop trains. It's, it stopped at every little. I mean, it was this was not uh, not an express, I'll tell you. But this was the first place that, uh, like I said, I was seven or eight and seeing uh, white and colored uh, drinking fountains and uh, no colored allowed and all this. And it really started to, it started to sink into me uh, just uh, how deep and uh, different. This was than the, than the way we tried to we tried to live. My dad tried to bring me up. Um, just it was, it was really a shocker. But that that, that was particularly a crazy uh, trip because we were down there and I went. My sister was Mary would have been 13, I guess, because we were five years apart. And uh, she had some friends, uh, Janice Meisler, who we had gone to visit the Meisler family. And we went to the Big South Fair in Batesville, Arkansas. Memorial Day weekend, 1955, and you know they had the, the two-headed cows and the you know the, the crazy rides and the tilt-a-whirl and all that kind of stuff. The chicken that played the piano and Southern, the, the Big South Fair. And at the end of the day, they had a, a concert that was out for everybody who had was on the fairgrounds, out on a flatbed truck, and the headliner was Webb Pierce. There stands the glass. She's in the he's in the jailhouse now. And then the opening before it was was Wanda Jackson. And the opening act, uh, this was May of 1955, was billed as the Hillbilly Cat. Elvis was Scotty and Bill. And there it was, his first first uh, what I'd say, I guess concert I ever went to. The opening act was Elvis Presley <laughs> before he became. Elvis Presley, he was the hillbilly cat, and uh, did like four songs, and just was, uh, but he was, you know, down south, he had, he had not, of course, signed with, uh, he had not become the big international or, or even national star at that time, but he was big in the south, and uh, he came out and did, you know, like four songs, it just knocked everybody out, screaming girls and stuff, and then Wanda Jackson, and then Webb Pierce. Funny, years and years, well, just a couple of years ago, you know, Jack White, uh, did an album, uh, produced an album for Wanda, and uh, she was she she did some touring behind it, and she was down at the venue down on Granville Street. And I 
friend Paul Baguette was opening for. And so knew the people putting the show on, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was able to talk my way uh, to go back and see Wanda Jackson. And I said, you know, the first show I ever went to when I was a kid, it was Webb Pierce, you and Elvis. And she said, well, you know, I was dating Elvis at that time. <laughs> I got such a kick out of that, man. That was so cool. I mean, just the, the big circle of uh, the big circle of life to be able to be there and to have that conversation with her was really, really a special, special thing. But you know, uh, just going back to that uh, beginning of realizing just uh, how how deep that uh, that stuff runs in people, you know, like. Uh, and I guess it's xenophobia, you know, that's the, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the strange, or the fear of the... When you realize, you know, when you start traveling around the world, and uh, you realize that everybody kind of just wants the same thing. They want to put some food on the table and hang out with their family and war. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we? It's just, I've been wondering that for so, so, so very long. But, you know, we, we do what we do, and uh, they do what they do, and... Uh, Hopefully, someday the twain shall meet. Thanks for listening to this episode of One Life. You'll find all the episodes up now for your enjoyment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.